Second chapter of Luke, 1 through 20. In those days, the decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius, Quirinius governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying, that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. So over the last few weeks, we've been looking at questions that are found in the Bible that surround Christmas. We've been looking at the question Mary asked when confronted with this virgin birth of how is this going to happen? And the question Zechariah was asked when his wife of an elderly age was pregnant. He says, how, how am I going to know this is true? And tonight we're going to look at the fourth and final question, um, but it doesn't come from the Christmas story, it actually comes from something that happened sometime after Jesus was born. If you have your Bible, open to the second chapter of Matthew. It's the other story, the story of, we, we call it the wise men. Some people say the three kings. Bible doesn't really use either term for them. It calls them the magicians, the three magicians. Magi, it's the word, we get our word magician from it. Magos is the singular, and it was kind of a priest, interestingly enough, from sort of Persia, Iran, Iraq, what we would know them as, somewhere from over in that area. These would have been holy men, but not at all of the Jewish persuasion, and someone who the Jews reading this story wouldn't have been favorable toward. But they're the ones we're going to read about. So in Matthew chapter 2, we have this story. Now, after... Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea 
in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men, this translation, but then it has a little one by it. Down under it says magi, but we don't use that phrase, so they just came the best they could. From the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? There's the question. A location question, right? Where is he? So let's, let's just jump back a second. Because we get a lot of our theology from Hallmark or from, you know, things. So let's just, let's think a minute. How many, how many, what, let's just say wise men. How many were there? We got no idea. The Bible doesn't say. Do we know their names? I grew up in tradition. There are these names. There's trivia. Gaspar, Melchior, and Balthazar. Bible doesn't say there's names. Were they riding camels? Who knows? Bible doesn't say. Were they kings? Bible doesn't say. Here's what it says. Sometime after Jesus was born. Could have been a day, could have been a week, could have been up to two years. Jesus remained in Bethlehem a long time after he was born. Though he was raised in Nazareth, he stayed in Bethlehem. Things were different. Hospital procedures, more than just a couple days on insurance. He was able to, two years. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, that's all we know, wise men, magi, came from somewhere east, came to Jerusalem, not Bethlehem, Jerusalem, Bethlehem, six miles south, saying, where is he who's born king of the Jews? That's all we know. Everything else is Hollywood. That's what the Bible says. Later, we'll learn a few other things about the gifts they brought. Those are in there, those three gifts, but we'll we'll deal with that in a minute. Where is he who's been born king of the Jews? Now, there are questions, as we've talked about over the last few weeks. Questions are um, interesting because not all questions are created equal. Some questions, they you want information. Questions normally have layers to them, right? 34 years ago, I asked a certain someone, Do you think we could ever be more than friends? Now, that's a question, and it has two answers, yes or no. But it's a layered question. There are questions off of that question, aren't there? Right? 34 years later, questions at our house are like, are you going to wear that tonight? (laughs) It's a question. Yes is the wrong answer, but it's a question. Questions have... A range of answers. The question asked would seem to be one of simple location. Where is he who's been born king of the Jews? For we've seen his star and we've come to worship him. A number of people heard this question and they responded in different ways. So who's the first person who heard this question? Let's look at what the Bible says. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. It says. It doesn't say a location question shouldn't be that troubling. Where is he? He's about six miles south. Now, there's a couple of problems. Herod had no idea. Clearly, we know that from the next verse where he has to ask the talking heads of the day to come in and answer the questions. He brought in experts. Um, we'll see that in a minute. He was troubled. Why was he troubled? Because for Herod, it wasn't a question of location. It was a question of vocation. See, the second phrase in that is, where is he who's been born, what, king of the Jews? Well, 
That title in Herod's mind was already taken. Herod was called the king of the Jews. He had been installed by the Roman authority, by Caesar, to be the king of that area, called Palestine or whatever, that area. He was the king. So someone else coming in as the king, two kings reigning in the same place, lousy way to govern, right? Kings typically don't like company. First question for Christmas, all right? The, the Christmas message is, where is Jesus? Where is God? Who? Where is he, this king of the Jews? We can answer like Herod, which is, hold on, I'm troubled by this. You mean I'm not the king? See, kings get to make the rules. Kings get to decide what's right or wrong, true or false. And for many of us, that's the way. It's certainly the way I live my life. I was the king of my life. I did what I wanted. I, I decided to the extent I could. I decided what was true or false or right or wrong. And that's the way all of humanity, each one of us, comes out living. And some of us will live our whole lives like that. And for them, Jesus is just six miles south of here. But really, we're troubled by it. We'd rather just get rid of him. Herod's going to spend the next two years trying to get rid of Jesus. It's not going to serve him well in the long run, but that's one of our options as the question comes to us. Let's see who else gets this question. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. Why would it trouble all of Jerusalem if these strange magician-type people, these odd people from the east are coming and saying, where is he who's born king of the Jews? Because he was going to change the status quo. They had, they were figuring out how to get along. The people of Jerusalem, probably the people in power, Matthew is referring to, but just generally speaking, if Jesus Christ comes in and something, an encounter happens, the status quo is turned upside down. The world was about to change. People of Jerusalem were troubled, and it's easy to just think, can we just let this Jesus guy do what he does over here six miles south of us. You may not want to kill him. You may not want to be like Herod and get rid of him. But you just want to ignore him. I did. I just wanted to ignore his claims. I hadn't even, like Herod, I hadn't even given him a hearing. Who else? Well, Herod throws the question to his experts, to his talking heads. In verse 4, it says, Herod assembled all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, and he inquired of them, so he puts, pulls, pushes the question down the line, where was the Christ to be born? Where is he? Where's These guys have come in saying, there's another king, not me. So the scribes and Pharisees had a, more truth. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And then they quote Micah 5, verse 2, that talks about this little town, Bethlehem, being a place where a ruler will come who will shepherd Israel. So let's look at the other person who answered the question. It's the scribes and Pharisees who had the religious trappings. These were the most religious people of the day. The Pharisees were. The scribes were the most knowledgeable about religious things. And they had the right answer. I grew up in church. 
as a non-believer, I didn't believe in God, I didn't trust God, but I knew the right answers. I knew the Bible way better than most people in growing up, and I could have answered and given you the Sunday school answer. The answer is always Jesus. But he was still six miles south. Because you can know, you can do religious things, and I suppose it's better than doing non-religious things, though I'm not sure that's true. But if Jesus is six miles south of you, it really doesn't matter in the end. So you have Herod, who wants to figure out where he is so he can get rid of a competitive king, someone who's going to tell him how to live his life because he was the king. You've got the people of Jerusalem who don't want the status quo to change. And you've got the people who knew the right answer because it's it's interesting that somebody who has the word of God at their fingertips can still be totally spiritually blind. And then you have basically the palm reader, the shaman. These... These people, the Magi, were like kind of religious, but not God religious. The people who are reading the book of Matthew, a scholar named R.T. France says, the readers of the book of Matthew would have seen these people as apostates and heretics. No one to be emulated. They were into astrology and dreams and things that the Bible condemns. What did they have? They had a hunger for truth and they were willing to go six miles south of Jerusalem. They were actually willing to go where Jesus had come all the way from heaven for them. Scholar D.A. Carson says, The eagerness of the Magi to worship Jesus despite their limited knowledge compares to the apathy of the Jewish leaders, the hostility of Herod, all of whom had the scriptures to inform them, but which they ignored. The claim of Christmas is that Jesus Christ came from heaven in the form of man, God coming all the way to earth, Because in order for him to change your life, he's got to know what you're going through. And you see, for those of us who struggle with anxiety or depression or fear, I get it, but that doesn't matter. He gets it. God gets it. He gets you. He knows you. He knows everything you're experiencing, and he wants you to be with him. And he's come all the way and he invites you to make a very short journey. For some of them, it was six miles from Jerusalem to Bethlehem. For some of you, it's about 18 inches from your head to your heart. From some of you, it's from your skepticism to your belief. For others, I don't know. I know he's that close. It was a lot further to come from heaven to Bethlehem than from Jerusalem to Bethlehem. He invites you to step in. The Magi were welcomed. They had terrible theology. 
you're welcome. I don't know what their lifestyles were like. They probably weren't that wise. I don't know anything about them, but I know that Jesus, even the baby Jesus, they were welcomed. Let me just say, you have nothing to lose by reaching out to Jesus except the things that hold you like chains. My own life is testimony. At some points I've been Herod. At some points I've been the people of Jerusalem. And at some points I've been a religious snob. It all is nothing but to say yes to Jesus and say, okay, I give up. I'll submit. I'll offer you my gifts. The the gold, frankincense, and myrrh that were given were kingly gifts. What they did is they recognized he was the king and they weren't. We don't know all the symbolism of those gifts, but they were gifts fit for a king. And in giving them to Jesus, they acknowledged that they were no longer in charge. And that's really the secret of being a Christian, is saying, I'm no longer in charge. I don't make the rules. I don't get the right or wrong. I submit to you. And with that, I'll submit to you that their lives were changed. I don't know what happened to those two, three, four, five, six, seven, twenty. We don't know how many magi there were. They say three because of three gifts, but who knows? It doesn't matter. Jesus changes lives. He did it then. He'll do it now. Will you take the short journey? The claim of Christmas is that he became one of us. He put on human flesh. If you believe that, don't let anything stop you from coming all the way. Let's pray together. Lord, your word says that you loved us and you gave yourself for us. I want to thank you that when I believed that, it changed my life. Everything else up to that point was just so much nothing. Lord, life is purposeless, nothing. It doesn't mean anything if we're just products of random chance who are flying on a rock in space until we can't breathe again. It just doesn't mean anything. But if there is a purpose behind this, if there is the God of the Bible who loves us and who has done everything to come to us, then it means everything. Then all the pain and the struggle and everything we go through is meaningful because you became one of us and entered into our world. Lord, would you convince our hearts where we doubt? Lord, would you have us come at least to the honest part of thinking, and if we reject it, we reject it. But Lord, help us not to be like the people of Jerusalem or the scribes and Pharisees and just ignore it. You are so close. And they were so close, but they couldn't walk six miles for a life change. Lord, I ask that you would reach in and continue to deal with this sinful heart that lives in me, Lord. I still am a work in progress. 
Lord, take each one of us where we are and call us to Yourself. I'm just going to give us a minute or two for you to just have some quiet, talk to God, pray, ask Him questions. We've been talking about questions the last month. Ask Him. Ask Him to reveal Himself to you if that's what you want. And then we'll close together in a minute. Come Holy Spirit. If there's somebody here who uh, feels like they want to do that, that they but they don't know how, you'd like to make a change. You don't want to be the king. You don't want to stay away from Jesus. Just say very briefly that it's as simple as confessing that you are not the king, he is, and that you're willing to do things his way. Come talk to me after the service if you've got questions. It's not hard to become a Christian And yet, it's the hardest thing ever because it means you believe that you are off that throne and that He is going to sit on the throne of your life. And come and talk to me and and let's connect you with God. It will change your life. As we close the service tonight, we're going to be, I'm going to ask if Ike and Benjamin will distribute candles. And then in a minute... I'm going to ask Dave or Izzy or somebody to to light one of the candles and we'll pass the light to each other. Go ahead and you guys go ahead and start passing the candles out now. We're, if you if you I don't know if there are any little bitty ones here. I think everyone here can handle a candle. Um, but uh, please take a candle. And as we contemplate Christmas, I don't know what your day will look like tomorrow with family or whatever. But tonight we're just going to celebrate Him as the light of the world. And as you have a light. In your uh, hand, as you get that candle lit, we'll light it off the Christ candle. As Christians, we believe that our light comes from His light, comes from Jesus. He is the light of the world, and by touching us, He makes us the light of the world. And so let's just contemplate that the light has come, and that we live in a dark world in many ways, and yet because the light has come, we don't have to despair. The despair that's just marking our world, we can push it back with the light of Christ. So take the candle and then I'll ask one of y'all to take a light off the center white candle and we'll just begin to pass the light back as we sing and we'll close our time together.